John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 1, 4 through 8. We are so excited to start this new series. And I'm excited not because there is a lot of symbolism in this series. I'm excited because it's not about fear. It's about hope, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's communicated in a wonderful way in a very apocalyptic literature, but it's telling us what God wants us to know. Through history, people have anxiously anticipated what the future may bring. Uh, whether it's a political analyst calling the elections before all the votes are in, or an army general predicting a swift triumph in the battle, or perhaps a Bible teacher trying to give specific dates about the coming of Christ, or many televangelists prophesizing a big catastrophe. We all have been exposed to false predictions, right? From uh, the old prediction about the telephone won't, su won't succeed as a form of communication long time ago, to the internet will never replace the newspapers. It's unbelievable how wrong many predictions can be. But remember, the predictions we trust are only as reliable as the sources. When that source is something other than God, and how clear he is with his timing and the way that he presents those prophecies in the scriptures, there, no, there are no warranties that the promises will come to pass. That's why the study of a book of Revelation, a book that many times people try to go through, try to de decipher what is exactly what it says, and try to put yourself in, into the story. How important it is to study? And you will learn as we start today why it is so significant that we can study and that we can be humble and understand that there are many things that we don't know, but there are so many others that we do know and we need to act upon it. Revelation is a book about the future, but it's also a book about the present. This book offers future hope to all believers, especially those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And in turn, they have been suffering for the cause of Christ. Because they have been proclaiming Christ's final victory. And somehow, whatever they live, they have been facing persecution. But it also gives hope 
for all of us in the present time. It gives us the guidelines that we need to follow because it teaches us about Jesus Christ and how you and I, we need to conduct our lives. We need to live our lives for him. God, even though this is a book of mystery because there are many truths that are unveiled, God wants us to know many things in this particular book. God wants us to know what is coming so we don't have to be ignorant or fearful. Rather, he wants us to be hopeful, knowing that his church will be in a different position when a lot of the terrifying events presented here in the Great Tribulation are going to be in place so he can fulfill his plans with his beloved people of Israel. There are so many things to unpack. And we're going to go very fast because, like today, we're supposed to cover the entire chapter 1 on Revelation. And that is going to be like the man who was driving in the highway, and he was driving 100 miles per hour. So a cop spot him and stopped him, and he was an old man. He was just fast. And he asked him, why are you running so fast in a highway that tells you that you cannot go up Above 75. Oh, I thought that was the name of the, of the road. No, no, that's not the name of the road. That's, that's the speed limit here. Ooh, you should see me when we were coming for the 250. <laughs> so that's the 250 that I'm going to try to cover today. So be mindful, pray for me, and let's see how we can finish that. But if there is one thing that I'm going to leave with you that summarizes the whole message today, is this thought. Through Christ, God bless us, loves us, and is with us. Through Christ, God loves us, God bless us, loves us, and is with us. If you didn't get it, let me say it in Spanish. A través de Cristo, Dios nos bendice, nos ama, y está con nosotros. Got it? Though many today falsely try to predict what was going to happen in the future, and many would like to know what is coming, only one messenger holds the truth, and that messenger is Jesus Christ our Lord. They are therefore a reliable and relevant source of concerning words and what he has to say through this book. So let's open the Bible in the book of Revelation chapter 1. Those 20 verses of chapter 1, we're going to be divided in three different sections. Section number 1, we're going to talk about how Christ, in Christ, God bless us. The first three verses. Number 2, through Christ, God loves us. Verses 4 to 8. And lastly, through Christ, God is with us. Verses 9 to 20. The first one. Through Christ, God bless us. Just as the apostle clearly told his readers why he wrote the gospel that bear his name, the apostle John, the epistle of John, John also is explaining to us very carefully what is the purpose for him to write this book. Verse 1 in Revelation 1 says, This is a revelation. No revelations is Revelation. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. 
he sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything that he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to his message and obey what he says, for the time is near. So we are here with a great blessing. Not only for me, who I'm reading this in front of you, if we are literal, but for you who are listening. And for all of us who put in practice what we learn from this book. Let's unpack a few things from these three verses. There are so much information here. First, the source. The source of this prophecy is trustworthy. It's coming from God the Father himself. You see it, verse 1. This is not a result of somebody with hallucinations, imagining things, having a dream after the full enchilada that he ate last night. No, it's something coming from God himself. So this is an unveiling. That's the meaning of the book, of the word revelation. That's the meaning of apocalypsis. That's the meaning, unveiling. Finally, what was a mystery, what was covered. Now, somebody removed the veil, and now you can see it. This is what the name means, a revelation of what is about to take place. That was given from the Father, God the Father, to God the Son, and he gave it to an angel who then gave it to John, who then gave it to all of us. So, in one way or another, Jesus is the focus of our attention in the book of Revelation. It's all about him at the beginning and at the end. Who are the recipients? At least they mentioned two of them. The first one is John, the writer, and the second one is God's servants at that time and for all of us as God's servants. So servant, the word doulos in Greek, means a slave of a bond servant, the one who served out of love for God, for, for the master, not of a, an obligation. And believers cannot understand revelation because this is not intended for them. Even though many believers that I know, and believe me, I became a believer because I was so fearful about the book of Revelation and I wanted to understand it. Little did I know that as an unbeliever, that book is not addressed to me. But now I understand. So in other words, the reason that we, say, that we see here is intended for those who are already believers in Jesus Christ. Those who are willingly serving Christ. Those servants of Christ. The purpose is also in these passages. These passages show us that the purpose of the book is to show his servants, God's servants, the events that must soon take place. Notice the little word, soon, quickly. In other words, the reason Jesus gave this revelation is so that you and I know what will happen and how God will direct history toward his purposes. Remember, History is his story. So he is directing all the events, the past, the present, and obviously the future as well. Look at the content. What is the content of this letter? Revelation is telling us that the content, as reported by John, is what the Word of God says and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the content of this letter is Jesus Christ. 
who he is, what he did, what he is doing, and what he will do. It's all about him. And there is wonderful promise. God blesses the one who reads, who wants who hears, who wants to put in practice what is written on this book. This is one of the seven blessings that we can find in the book of Revelation. This doesn't necessarily mean that you will be happy when you're reading it, that you will be excited when you're reading it. It's, it's confusing. You're going to have some headaches. I, I already have some headaches yesterday when I was reviewing these things. But, but what he says is it's going to be a blessing because we're going to learn what God wants us to know and how we need to act as a result of that. But it's important to notice that little word quickly, soon. And also in Revelation um, 1.3, near. Because both words in the original Greek communicate something important. The fulfillment of this prophecy could begin in any moment. What is a prophecy? Well, the word soon in the original Greek is also used in Luke 18 when it talks about the judgment of God. And in Romans 16.20, it describes the future destruction of Satan. So this prophecy will happen really quickly. These moments are going to happen soon. This concept is also called in theology as the doctrine of imminence. It will happen, that's for sure. And it will happen quickly. So God's people must be ready at all times. We don't have to be ready when the Lord shout his voice in the heavens. We need to be ready now because we don't know when. Let's do an exercise. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Lord will come in the blink of an eye. Let's blink our eyes for a moment. One, two, three, blink. Sooner, less than the time that you blink that eye is when all these things will happen. So there is no time for you to be ready when the Lord comes. You need to be ready now. That's why he wants you to know these things. And you need to take this into account quickly. So behind this urgency lies the idea that the sovereign hand of the Lord is in charge of the future. He is in control. Because this history is his story, we need to be part of God's story as well. So what happened when God's servants is not a change of decree. This is written here. This is for all of us. So number one, through Christ, God bless us. He promised a blessing to all of us. Number two, through Christ, God loves us. This is a letter. It's written in a form of a letter, and it's according to the customs of the time when they were writing letters. You find a 3-4 opening mentioning the author, which is John, the recipient, which is the seven churches in the province of Asia. Seven churches doesn't mean that only seven churches existed. It's a representation of all the churches in that time. So they mention only seven, but it represents all the churches. And a blessing, which is grace and peace. So this is a symbolic letter. This is apocalyptic. This is something that is mysterious. It's a representation of what happened. For all those churches that represent the rest of the churches in Asia Minor. So is what we know as the modern Turkey, right? So these seven churches that we read here in Revelation 1.11 are situated, interestingly, you see your map kind of in a round circle. And this is a figure of completeness as we read it in, in Exodus 25 and in Zechariah 4.2. 
And the number seven in the Bible is a number of perfection. So it's a perfect circle, even though it's not perfect in our own eyes. But it's a symbolism. But the Apostle John agreed in one thing. He is greeting these churches with two wonderful words. With grace and with peace. We understand what grace is all about. It's a merit favor that we got from God. And that merit favor is what we experience when we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. The Lord gave us a wonderful gift because we trusted in Christ as a Savior. He granted us a wonderful gift through grace because we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We couldn't pay it. It's just by grace. He gave us his gift of salvation through grace, through Christ. Then John goes on and starts talking about this wonderful message sent to the churches. And he explained to us that it's endorsed not only by Christ, but the whole Trinity. Look at what verse says here. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Through Christ, God loves us. God's program for the future is so significant that it involves the whole Trinity. The Father is described here as the one who is and who was and who is to come. John records this description again, and he's making reference to the Old Testament scriptures when, when the Lord presented to Moses and he asked him, what is your name so I can tell the people in Egypt that you sent me? And he says, I am who I am. So basically, he is the one who was. He is the one who is. He is the one who will come. God is always the same and always in control. God has always been in his throne. Even though the, this world in which we're living now seems to be out of control with every circumstance, every situation, how many times you, when you watch the news, you are thinking, where in the world we're going? What is going on here? When we see that those people who are in power are doing this and making this decision, we think that the world is coming to an end. But be patient and have hope. God is still sitting on his throne. He still has the whole world in his hands. That's what John is telling us. Don't panic. Especially you who are a believer. Let the ones who are not believers to panic whatever they want. But not you. You need to have hope. Because you have a wonderful promise. And that promise is that he will bless you, he will love you, and he will protect you. So we see Jesus as well represented here with language from the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. From Psalm 89, we see that he is the faithful witness. He is the one who bears testimony of all these things. He is a trustworthy source from these words. And whatever he says, it, it will happen. He said he will come, he will die, he will be buried, and he will resurrect it again. It's already happening. So he is promised to come back. Let's be sure that he will fulfill that promise as well. 
So the firstborn is a reference to Colossians 1.18, when Jesus is a preeminence over everything that has been created in this physical world and the unseen world as well. The first one from the dead, that he might come first place in everything. The ruler of the kings of the earth. All these names are reflecting Christ's authority. The authority that the Lord has been bestowed upon him. And lastly, he mentioned the Holy Spirit, describing not many spirits, but just one spirit, the seven spirits who are before his throne in Revelation 1.4. He's not describing seven distinct spirits. He is explaining in this vision the manifestation of these spirits. The Spirit of God, as recorded in Zechariah 4 and Isaiah 11, the Spirit of God shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and the understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and godliness shall fill him, the spirit of the fear of God. It's the same Holy Spirit manifested in different ways. So God's Spirit is everywhere. That's the truth that we can find here. That's the truth that we can rest upon here. He goes throughout the seven churches as well, guiding them and directing them. That Spirit that is Guiding Christ is the same spirit that is guiding you because he lives within you. He promised not to leave you alone or orphan. He said, I will go and I will send someone who will be with you and in you. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the promise that we have. So John is closing his comments here with a word of praise for Christ and God's glory. Verse number five says, he has made us Kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. He and everybody will see him. Even those who pierce him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes. Amen. As he said. Let it be. In this praise, John is taking us back to the cross. Are you notice? He's taking us back, taking us back to, to where he was when he stood as an eyewitness. God was eyewitness of what Christ was suffering on the cross. For his love for God and his love for the world, Jesus shed his blood, releasing all who believe in him from the penalty of their sins, conquering death, and giving new life to all who believes in him. And he did it for love. So in verse 18, we read, God speaks for the first time here. And he's saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. The Almighty One. God is restating here that he is the Alpha and the Omega, Right? What is that? It, it, it does uh, one of those uh, sororities or things that happen in the university. Or I don't know how you call them. I've never been in one of those. So, no, no, it's not. Those are the letters of the Greek alphabet. Those are the A and Z for our alphabet. The one at the beginning and the one at the end. That's exactly what he's telling. And he has given authority over all history to his son. God is giving Jesus that priority. This is meant to be a source of comfort and hope for all of us. 
are trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So that's why Revelation 1 is so significant for us to study. You see, we only have been studying just a few verses. We all might feel kind of a sense of relief knowing that God is in control of every situation. So number one, through Christ, God bless us. Number two, through Christ, God loves us. Number three, through Christ, God is with us. And let's read from verses 9 until the end of chapter 1, chapter 20, verse 20. John, is, John here is in, in exile, in, in exilium. He's in exile in the island of Patmos. I had the privilege to be in that little island. My wife and I, we went on a, in a, in a tour from all this beautiful land in a, in a cruise, and we stopped in the island of Patmos. And believe me, if you ever get the chance to see there, it is something magical. It's, it's horrible. It's just a piece of rock in the middle of the ocean. It's supposed to be a prison. But just knowing that that was the place where the Apostle John was in exile, and this is a place when he has the revelation, the vision about Jesus Christ, what he's telling us, is just amazing. I mean, I, I, don't tell anybody, but I brought a little rock from that place. <laughs> I didn't supposed to. Well, nobody told me until I came here. It's too late. I cannot send it back. <laughs> but just for you to know, I, I have it on my desk at home. It's, it's just a little piece of something. Not even my wife knows that. Because she will not let me do it, right? And I got a little candle because that is a, a, a Catholic uh, little chapel there. And we light a, light a candle. It was just magical. We go through the tunnels. We could take pictures. That's why I haven't been able to show you anyone. But just being there is, is breathtaking. And I was thinking, wow, it was here. When the last of the apostles who was alive, the only one who didn't die because of being persecuted and put to death because of the cause of Christ. He was a witness of everything that the Lord says. It just blew my mind just to be able to, to be there. So when I read Revelation, when I was preparing this study, I was thinking and reflecting on those moments, and I was thinking, oh, Lord, this is, this is amazing. So in that little island of Patmos, he was there because he refused to pay tribute to Roman emperor because the Roman emperor wanted to be considered the Lord and God for the community. Revelation 1.9 says, I, John, I am your brother and your partner in suffering and in the God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled in the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. When we consider the term fellowship, in reference to a church in our days. Let me tell you that we often think about a gathering, a potluck that we're going to have next week, so we're going to have fellowship to one another. It's very different about the fellowship that we might think in the churches in, in the first century, especially in the churches that we see here in Revelation. Revelation 1 night tells us about the fellowship in the early church, and the fellowship that they were sharing were not meals. It was suffering, persecution, Beaten, death. That was the fellowship at that time. And that's what he's saying. I, like many of you, the ones that he addressing, I'm going through this persecution, this tribulation, this distress. At that time, the emperor 
Domitian persecuted the churches through the Roman Empire, demanding to be addressed as deity and imprisoned all, all of those who refused to do that. So that tribulation that he is mentioning here, he shared it with them because he was in exile. Also mentioned about kingdom, his reign or rule. Even though he's talking here about a literal earthly kingdom, we can associate this in many other passages in the New Testament about the, the kingdom community, which is the church, which is the fellowship of believers. God's kingdom as a spiritual sense. And the perseverance, the patience, the endurance, the steadfastness, the word in Greek, hupomeno, every time that I think about the word, I'm never going to forget one time that one of my professors at the seminary showed us a picture of a cart and a donkey, and whatever was in that cart was so heavy that the poor donkey was basically lifted up with a foot like this, and the, because it was so heavy. That's how the word hupomeno here is just the endurance, just, just, just the, the difficulties that that the believers has to endure. And he's setting here, the setting for the first version. I mean, John knew Jesus, right? He was the beloved disciple. He, he in many occasions we read that he was resting his head over his shoulder. So he knew him. He knew him personally. But he never saw Jesus Christ the way that he saw it in this vision. And, and let's see here what is the setting for this first vision. Verse 10. It was the Lord's day. Today is the Lord's day for us. It's Sunday. And I was worshiping in the spirit. So he was worshiping on a Sunday. Like you. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see. Even with an accent, imagine that. <laughs> and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. John was in the spirit. Literally, not necessarily was in a spiritual trance. The spirit in some ways was taking him to a place, maybe in the mind, maybe physically, who knows. But in some ways, the spirit, the, the spirit of the Lord was telling him all these things. It was on the day of the Lord. How appropriate that is in the day that you dedicated to go to church, to worship the Lord. He was having this special revelation. Let me tell you, the Lord will speak to you anywhere, any place. But what a wonderful opportunity is when you gather together with those who fellowship together for the Lord. So this is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm just, let me just make this wonderful announcement. Come to church every Sunday, please. John's vision of Christ began with a song of a loud voice, like a trumpet, a voice that was clear, penetrating, and commanding. That voice is telling him, write this in this book. Book is not what we have. Books in this time is scrolls. So these kind of books were not invented at that time in the time of John, but you understand what is that. So John has provided this wonderful experience here in the Lord's day. But what was the content of the vision? I'm glad you asked. Verse 12, when I turned to see what was speak, who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. The lampstands are the churches portraying, and we see that on verse 20. But let me clarify that for you. It's portraying the churches. It's portraying their function 
emitting the light of the world because you are the church, we are the church, and we're supposed to be light in this world that is in darkness. And it's important to know that because the light of Christ is right exactly what can show how successful we can be as a, as a church. Not necessarily how wonderful we have in our teaching or worshiping and serving the community. If we are not doing those things because we're sharing the light of Christ, we are totally missing the point. We're supposed to be reflectors of his light to the ones who are in darkness. And that is through our personal testimony, not only verbal, but the way that we live as well. So the meaning of this symbolic thing here interpreted in verse 20 is when John is calling us to attention. And standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the son of man. So he was looking at the light and the, suddenly he, he looked in the middle of the lampstand. And he looked someone standing in the middle of that light stand, lampstands. And he says, I saw someone like, he couldn't describe it. It was so amazing that he couldn't put words into his thoughts, what he was looking at. So he says, it was someone like, like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like many ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. He was like the son of man. In many weddings, the bride has a long train that sweeps away in the hall. And, and it's amazing because that draws all the attention to, to the most important person in the wedding, right? The bride. Well, she's coming and you see all that long tra trail. Well, back in the day, the kings also were having a, a long cape, a trail. So that's a symbolism of grandiose. It's, 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 you know, all the eyes had to turn and look at, at that royalty. That's what he's describing here. Maybe he's talking about him because of the way that he's describing that robe. He is referring to the son of man like a judge or maybe a priest or both of them. In many ways, what he is talking about, this is a person of importance. This is someone who is authority, who has authority. And the vision that he has of Jesus actually are taking it from the words that the prophet Daniel was putting in his prophecy. White hair represents wisdom and purity, flaming eyes, insight and judgment, bronze feet, purity and strength, seven stars in the right hand, that's a mystery here, stay tuned, we're going to reveal it later, source from the mouth, truth and judgment, shining face, the glory of God, all that symbolism is in, in this wonderful passage. He also said that in the first, he, he is the first and the last. He holds the keys of death and Hades. Every kingdom of heaven and earth are under his belongings, belongs to Jesus. What is the consequences of this vision for John? Verse 20 to 20, 17 to 20. After seeing this vision, there is a sense of awe. 
in John. He couldn't believe it what he was looking at. This is not the Jesus that I saw. This is not the Jesus that I spent many, many days with, many nights with. This is, this is something amazing. This is something wonderful. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on, my, on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I die, but look, I come alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Many times we commit the despicable sin of treating Jesus as one of our homebodies. Many times we even call him in Spanish, Diosito, little God. Chewy, which is a nickname for Jesus. Or we refer to him. And, and, and it's okay. I mean, in many ways, when they present the gospel to us, they told us that he is so personal. He loves us. And we make him an object. It's basically we put him in our hands and we command him. But he's not that little. He is grandiose. He is huge. He is amazing. He is a creator of the universe. He is not someone, a little God or a lesser God. He is the God of the universe. And we need to be careful the time that we try to communicate with him because we're speaking with someone who can fulminate us in that moment. He has the power to do that, but he loves us. And he cares for us. And even he allows us to be so inconsiderate sometimes in the way that we refer to him. John, at that moment, he thought he knew Jesus, but at that moment, he almost faint. He couldn't believe it, what he was looking at. And it's important as we embark in this study in Revelation that we can have a different perception of who Jesus is because that will determine how we can live our lives today. When we learn who he is, we're going to learn how to behave in front of him because this is not a little God or a meek God, even though he was meek and humble. He did it when he was on earth, but now he is the king of the universe. And he promised to come for us. So the simple three points that he's saying here, he heard the voice, and the voice says, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now and happening and the things that will happen. He basically is telling him the entire book of Revelation, the outline is right here in verse 19. You can mark your Bibles. The things that were, the things that are, and the things that will come. This is how the entire book of Revelation is laid out for us. So this is our outline for the entire book. As far as interpretation goes, this is the single most important verse in Revelation. Three simple points here. The things which you have seen, the things in the past. The past things refer to the things which John has seen in verse 1, 9 to 20. Which explanation is what he saw. The things which are, this is the thing that present, because you and I, we're living in the era of the church. You and I are living right now in Revelations 2 and 3. So stay tuned. Next week, it's talking to us directly because we're in that time in the chronology of prophetic calendar of God. And the things which will take place after these things, those are the future things. This dominant section, look at the events that will occur after the church age, during the tribulation and the millennium kingdom. There's much to unpack, but I'm going to finish with verse 20. The seven stars are the angels, and the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Although we understand what the church is, the identity of the angel 
it probably is the messenger of every church. It could be also a real angel, or it could be a messenger, or it can be one of the pastors, whoever it might be. The important thing is that God is in the midst of all of them. He sustained them in his right hand. And he is in the middle of those lampstands. He is in the middle of his church. That's the imagery here that's important. That God not only blesses us, that God loves us, but God is present right now in the middle of all of us. The description of Christ, and I was thinking probably he was calling me, but no, it's not. <laughs> it will be louder than that. Is that the, he is present and powerful among his people. So two things for you to take home. Number one, the more we understand who Christ really is, the quicker we will respond to him with submission and respect. The more we understand who Christ really is, the quicker we will respond to him with submission and respect. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, says John. When was the last time when you were praying that you felt compelled to come to the ground and recognize that you are before someone so majestic as Jesus Christ? Number two, the greater our willingness to submit to Christ, the deeper will be the truth that he will reveal to us. The greater our willingness to submit to Christ, the deeper will be the truth that he will reveal to us because he wants us to get to know him so we can love him as he loves us. So through Christ, God bless us, loves us, and is with us. A través de Cristo, Dios nos bendice, Dios nos ama, y Dios está con nosotros. And the Spirit of the Lord is here in all of us. If you send the Spirit of the Lord telling you that this is the time for you to get acquaintance in a different way with Jesus. If you never have any experience, any opportunity to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, everything that happened in those future events might concern you. Everything about the tribulation, everything about the, rap the rapture might not concern you, but everything that happened during the different time, the testing time, but you can change now. You know what? There are two things that are eternal. The Word of God and the people of God. Only two things. And when I say the people of God, I'm talking about the soul. Do you know that you have souls that are eternal? Do you know that? They're eternal. What sleeps in this earth is our bodies. They go to the cemetery and they sleep there waiting for the resurrection of the body. But your soul instantly is before Jesus Christ. Or, or if you never trust in Jesus Christ, your soul instantly is in, I don't know what place, waiting to be condemned forever in, in hell. There are only two places, heaven or hell. And you had the chance to choose now. Now, where you're going to spend eternity. It is my prayer that as we study this wonderful book, you don't feel fear but you have hope because you have been saved through the blood of the Lamb. Who, only Him is worthy to receive all praises and glory. 
forever and ever. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's pray together. Let's direct our attention to the one who was, who is, and promise that will come. Close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we come before you with humble hearts, recognizing that we are not worthy even to address you, to call you Father. Because you are a holy God. You are a just God. As a holy God, you cannot have anything to do with sinful people like myself. As a just God, the only thing that you can expect is impart justice and send me to hell because of my sins. But you are also a God of love. And because of your love for the ones that you created, you send your son, the only one worthy to take that place to go to the cross and die as a human being that he was. But come alive again as God as he is. And show us, Father, that we can be just for the justice that Jesus Christ had. Our sins he took upon him on the cross and defeats him forever. The power of sin has been destroyed. Now I can be free thanks to him. Father, I need you. I need you to realize that I have been thinking and believing in a Jesus that is so little than the Jesus that I learned today. Help me to readjust my vision of who he is so I can come closer and behave different in his presence. We praise you, Lord. We love you, Father. But thank you for loving us first. And thank you, Father, for blessing us and being with us. All this through the one who is worthy, your son Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all peoples, says amen.